Farm Food Facts, where every farmer, every acre, and every voice matter. Welcome to the Farm Food Facts interactive podcast presented by the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance for Wednesday, November 28th, 2018. All of us at U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance hope you and yours had a terrific Thanksgiving. Today, our thought leader is U.S. Farmers and Ranchers CEO, Aaron Fitzgerald. Then we'll speak with Don Cameron of Terra Nova Ranch in Helm, California, who will discuss sustainability on the farm and the California weather events and challenges that he and other farmers deal with, including drought, forest fires, and climate change. Let's get started. Aaron, you just attended the Sustainable Ag Summit and led a panel discussion. What was the top line from the summit? You know, I think the summit is just um, really grown in the last four years, the Sustainable Ag Summit, and you see um, many of each commodity's roundtables getting together. So there's the Beef Roundtable, Field to Market, the Dairy Stewardship and Sustainability Index, um, Stewardship for Specialty Crop, and a new roundtable called the Poultry Sustainable Roundtable. And you're seeing um, each one of the commodities really get together um, one time a year in um, a conference. And you're, I, I, what I see is that sustainability is kind of now on the forefront of um, each one of the commodities, as well as many of the brands and retailers. And this is an event that allows everyone to get together and um, share resources. I think the real question is, how do we c- collaborate more than just at a conference, but every single day? Mm -hmm. And, you know, Aaron, when I look at these roundtables that you're describing, so you've got pork over here, you've you've got poultry over here and so on. What's the process? And and perhaps this is, you know, U.S. Farmers and Ranchers Alliance role. But what's the process for each of these roundtables to talk to the other roundtables so that we're not just having poultry doing their thing and beef doing their thing and dairy doing their thing, but we really look from a from a holistic approach to agriculture, both for retailers, for the industry, for consumers. Uh, talk to me about how that is working or what needs to be done. Yeah, it's a great question. I th- You know, it starts first with the farmer, um, where many of the requests and the um, information or the place-based change that needs to happen is actually on a farm. And many of our farmers themselves are growing multiple commodities. So, you know, many of our farmers are getting, you know, upwards of five to 15 different types of um, supply chain scorecards. And it's all the intent of these roundtables to eliminate and um, have a more harmonized approach. But we have to realize, for example, if you're feeding cows or pigs, there's corn and soybean connects right, right into that. You know, Field to Market's done a fantastic job of working with and through the various uh, groups, but we have to think of our farms as an integrated system where measurement flows from the field to the farmer and then, of course, to the consumer. Um, But we need to make certain that we are having the farmers really tell us what works on on their farm to measure and track continuous improvement. And the farmers must be in those conversations. Otherwise, um, we're all kind of asking that question like, hey, it's 70 degrees and fluorescent in this conference. (laughs) And we're saying what can happen, you know, on a farm. And, you know, that was really what the panel was all about. 
So, you know, it's interesting. You, you talk about farmers with multiple crops. We're going to be talking to Don Cameron in a bit. And, I, you know, I can't count the amount of crops that he's running on his 7,500 uh, acres, but we'll talk to him a bit more about that. Now, I know, um, Aaron, that there are some retailers, some major retailers that attended uh, the Sustainable Agriculture Summit, uh, but typically retailers don't come. What can you share with retailers about what happened at the summit? What was its outcomes that they need to know? Yeah, I, th- I think we would love to see retailers get more involved in these sustainability um, uh, conversations. One, uh, you know, retailers do seem to be the front lines of where the consumer is looking for this information. You know, they want to come into any retail space and understand that the products that made it to their shelf um, is coming from, is responsibly sourced. Um but I think we in the food and agricultural sector need to do a good job of making certain that we're giving you easy, easy information that you can communicate to your consumer uh, on trust uh, and, and understanding where their food comes from and let the farmer speak for themselves. Um, you know, more than anything, I think the retailers are great at telling good stories. Mm-hmm. And that goes far beyond what you see in terms of measurement. You know, a, a lot of what we've been doing in this roundtable space is figure out the measurement. And now I think we have a bigger responsibility to really let the farmers speak for themselves, talk about how um, farming is produced today and educate the consumer on many of these things that are really kind of confusing. Um, but the farmer's the best person to, to tell um, how food is produced today. It is. And I think we've also seen a, a change where you know, the farmer started out, and I'm not going to give a timeline to this, but the farmer started out worrying about their own farm. Then they mm-hmm. expanded to talking to other farmers to, to learn from each other. Um, and, and now we're really seeing where the farmer, whether it's on social media or in person or on TV, um, is really out there not only telling their story, but educating consumers. I mean, farmers today are what celebrity chefs were 10 years ago. And I think that mm-hmm. The difference is that consumers were entertained by celebrity chefs, but they're being empowered and educated by farmers. Yeah, I think our farmers have, just like a chef, you know, they have very um, specific things that they're doing on their farm. It's a little bit of an art and a science, and um, depending on the the weather of that day. And, um, you know, it's a great story. People are fascinated by it. It's biology that's unfolding before our eyes every single day. And the farmer is the steward of that. So um, it's, it's in many ways it is consumers are interested and they want to know. And um, I think it's our job to connect those stories and the people as you'll meet Don to, to the science and, and the stories that go with it. Absolutely. Uh, Aaron, as always, thanks for your insights and your leadership. New holiday survey results, state of grocery retail report. More than 2,000 U.S. consumers were surveyed for Phenonics state of grocery retail report. This survey detects patterns in consumer shopping habits, specifically during the holiday season. With the holiday season now fully upon us, grocers really need to step up their game according to the survey findings. Everything from a store's layout to their grab-and-go option is fair game. As stats from the research found that folks think that grocers need to rethink the checkout lane. And you're going to be surprised at this. And they want to improve upon customer convenience and efficiency. 
One important finding for farmers nationwide is that the survey found that 25% of consumers want more fresh produce offered at the checkout stand this holiday season, similar to what many sea stores around the nation have been doing for years. It's time to replace the candy, salty snacks, and sodas. Surprisingly enough, only 43% of consumers do most of their holiday food shopping at regional locations. Convenience is still important and an opportunity as one in six consumers want pre-made holiday meal offerings to make their lives easier this time of year. The majority of shoppers view themselves as loyal to one grocery store for the majority of their shopping. However, during the holiday season, shopping habits adjust a bit with more than 34% of those surveyed making various trips to different stores. What grocers need to know is that this survey gives retailers insight on how they can best appeal to their customers this holiday season. Grocers need to embrace in-store innovation to attract the next generation of consumers, consider factors such as in-store layout, technology, product stocking, and placement, have a better understanding of the holiday shopping preferences of Generation Z and millennial consumers, and get those produce offerings at the checkout. And while surveys are the one viable way to determine what consumers want, technology continues to provide new and unique ways to determine just what consumers desire most, even if they don't know what they want. KFC and Beidou join forces regarding facial recognition. Take a look at that chicken's face. Beidou, a Chinese multinational technology company which specializes in internet-related services, products, and artificial intelligence, and KFC China, are collaborating on a smart restaurant in Beijing, which is a long way from the first time I went to Tiananmen Square's KFC, which had two doors, one for locals and one for tourists, with different prices for each. This new high-tech endeavor will utilize facial recognition, including components such as age, gender, and facial expression, including your mood will be inferred to suggest things that a customer may like to order. Now, I'm wondering just how my face has to look in order to order a double Whopper with extra cheese. Hold the ketchup. Well, this technology will be exclusive to designated Beijing locations, and this particular restaurant will also offer augmented reality games. The facial recognition kiosk will create a database of images that will offer the ability to identify repeat customers and provide suggestions based on their order history. So what happens if the next time I do want ketchup? Perhaps raising my left eyebrow? Well, what grocers need to know is supermarkets can look at the innovations taking place in fast food around the world and bring them to every supermarket in the U.S., this type of data technology can help retailers determine just what foods their consumers most desire and thereby share the insights with farmers and ranchers to determine what crops and livestock are in high demand. And speaking of crops that are currently in high demand, young farmers are cashing in on hemp. As production costs continue to rise and commodity prices continue to fall, farming has become less profitable. However, young and innovative farmers believe that growing hemp could alleviate some of the financial stress that can impact a farmer's mental health. Hemp typically secures significantly higher prices per acre than traditional crops so that this crop could provide farmers with more financial stability. Hemp is also one of the most durable and reliable crops to grow. The shift towards legislation to grow hemp in the U.S. is likely to change, as Mitch McConnell has stated that Congress will likely legalize hemp on a federal level as part of the 2018 Farm Bill. 
It's no secret that in addition to the hemp opportunity, CBD, a cannabis compound that has significant medical benefits, is growing in popularity and consumer demand. CPD is infused in everything these days, from food products to skincare, and a recent report expects the CBD market to hit $22 billion by 2022. This green rush is inspiring smart young farmers to pursue new opportunities in hemp agriculture. Hemp seeds contain complete protein, essential fats, and fiber without any extra carbohydrates. It also contains an essential omega, GLA, that helps the body's hormones work better. What grocers need to know is that farmers and retailers should keep an eye on the evolving market for hemp and CBD, as the demand for cannabis-related products continues to grow. And while hemp agriculture continues to thrive, unfortunately, other crops are hitting roadblocks from Mother Nature, which are hindering their success. California wine grape growers must deal with damage from catastrophic wildfires. As reported in the Sacramento Bee, the Camp Fire in Butte County is already the deadliest in the state's history. And along with the Woolsey Fire in the Malibu area, California has lost a total to date of 1,627,652 acres, wow, to wildfires so far just in 2018. And amidst the ash of this ongoing blaze, California has already spent more than half of its annual budget for fire in just 40 days. California wine and ag groups are responding to the state's detrimental wildfires and their effects. These groups are seeking federal and state financial help for the state's wine grape growers so that they can recover from the damage of the catastrophic fires. Ideally, they'd like an emergency funding package allotted to ag producers suffering from this year's natural disasters. What grocers need to know is that as a multitude of natural disasters from tropical storms to wildfires continue to plague the nation, it's important that retailers understand what has happened to local producers and do their best to support their efforts within their communities and with their legislators as well. It's time to hear direct from the farmer. This week is California's own Don Cameron. Don is one of the region's most diverse growers producing almonds, wine grapes, processing tomatoes, pistachios, walnut, carrots, onions, and lettuce seed on almost 7,500 of acres. In 2017, Don was named the Agriculturist of the Year and is the current president of the California State Board of Food and Agriculture. Don, thanks for joining us, and let me start off by offering all of our heartbreak for what California farmers and ranchers have been going through. First with the drought, now with the fires, what's the current state of affairs? Well, thank you, Bill. I really appreciate being part of your uh, program today. You know, our heart goes out uh, and prayers go out to, you know, all the fire victims and their families uh, who lost their homes throughout the campfire and uh, the recent fire in Malibu. You know, it just seems that every year um, we're getting more intense uh, fires, uh, you know, that are just year after, you know, this, every year they're more record setting and more destructive. You know, last year we had uh, Sonoma County uh, was really hard hit. And this year it's been the, the Redding area, Southern California, Malibu area, Paradise, you know, 26,000 uh, people, you know, homes wiped off the face of the earth. So we really, uh, we, we know that a lot of people that uh, are involved in farming uh, were affected by this, uh, but, you know, ma mainly indirectly, but a lot of their, uh, a lot of people live in those areas. So we're, we're really, 
really sorry to see what what's happened here. I was going to say, you know, you say indirectly and directly. So um, fortunately, you know, your farm, your 7,500 acres were not affected. But what about the smoke? What about the residue from these these fires? Uh, does that have any effect on on your farm and, and how you have to deal with managing um, the the soil and your crops? Um, yeah, interesting. During the during August, we had some uh, fires to the north of us that that actually um, filtered out part of the sun. And uh, hmm. you know, we've we've had issues with the with the extreme heat the last few years, and uh, we were actually seeing a little bit of actual benefit, if you can believe that, from uh, from the high the high altitude smoke. It uh, it the sun was not as intense and. The uh, the quality of the uh, the peppers we were growing during that period was actually a little bit better. So indirect, but but then I guess the the downside is uh, you know later we've had the smoke down on ground level and you know it looked like a fog uh, during during November and uh, late October to where you know the the air quality is so bad it it long term it affects all of us. You know we live here, we breathe the air. Mm-hmm. And I'm just hoping this isn't our our new norm here in California. So, Don, you know, as a as a farmer, I mean, you've been focused on inputs, um, you know, water, soil health, you know, all these other things. Now you have to deal with these external forces from fires, from drought. You know, you're turning into a scientist. You have to turn into a scientist to to know how to deal with it. You you know, you talk about you know, the sun being hidden for a while and, and the effect of that. I, I've got to just imagine that your head is, is exploding with all this stuff. You know, we, we, we deal with that. We're dealing with uh, trying to bring new technology on farm to, uh, you know, to, to, you know, so that we can grow our crops more efficiently, more sustainably and, and produce better quality. So, you know, it, it, it's a never ending learning process for us. Uh, no, I, I've I've learned more about uh, about our soils and about our our water that uh, that's underneath our feet and our ground uh, probably than I ever would have imagined. So we're, uh, we're always in the forefront. Yeah, put put your hat on as president of the California State Board of Food and Agriculture. What are you hearing from other farmers and ranchers? Um, you know, in, in respect to this, look, you're at the cutting edge. You're, you're, you know, you get it. Are there smaller farmers um, that are really just frustrated with, with all that's going on with the climate, all that's going on with the inputs and they're throwing up their hands and they're saying, Don, help, help. Well, I think what, what I've seen from a lot of the uh, local growers here is that, you know, our number one issue is always water. Um, but number two is labor, and and third is the regulatory system that we have um, that we're not saying is bad, but it it just becomes uh, a lot of burden for the uh, growers, especially the smaller growers. I think uh, you know there's a lot that are retiring, and you know they they really don't have anyone to pass it on to, and I think you're seeing some of the uh, the larger growers are getting larger. The smaller growers, uh, you just you're not seeing the influx into uh, uh, into California agriculture that uh, you used to. It's uh, you almost have to be 
I'm not saying you have to be big, but but to be able to have the resources to survive in the environment we have today, it helps. Uh, there's no question. I want to go back uh, to the fires for a second. You talk about regulations, and, and there's you know lots of stories that are out there and, and so on. But when we look at forestry, um, what what should we what should the government what should environmentalists really know about um, what we're doing to to protect our forests so that we don't have these fires that consume you know over one and a half million acres? What are we doing wrong, if anything? Well, I think that there's a a misconception um, of what a forest should look like. Uh, you know, we deal with the uh, the state foresters, and they they like to do some vegetative burning during a period of time that it's not going to burn down the forest, where they can do low temperature burns that will clear out some of the uh, some of the understory within the forest and. So many times we have a disagreement between environmental groups and and science, forestry science, to where we just can't uh, we can't get by that impasse. It's uh, it, it turns into a real issue to where when we do have a fire, we get really intense fires that uh, jump from the understory to the uh, to the tops of the trees, uh, the crown fires, and burn so intensely that they they just burn everything up seeds uh, living plants everything rather rather than trying to manage the uh, the forest have open areas you know throughout the forest uh, you know it it's hard to change that and uh, it's hard to change the perception of what a forest should look like mm-hmm. um, we we know that you do have to manage forests just like we manage our our fields here um, right it's a different type of management but left uh, left alone we're going to continue to have issues like this and uh, you know we we talked to the forestry uh, departments and they understand that, uh, that yeah we have intense dense growth that needs to be needs to be opened up so we do have some natural fire breaks but uh, it's a tough job it's a tough sell sure so, Don, I also know that collabor- collaboration sorry, is, is a very important message that you continue to share across the entire supply chain. How are all these agriculture groups working together and collaborating? Well, um, lately it's been, uh, there's been a lot of work on food safety. Uh, so many of the crops, especially the fresh crops that, uh, that are not processed, uh, you know, we have the uh, FISMA, which is the uh, Food Safety Act, we we have our uh, Leafy Greens marketing agreement that uh, is voluntary, but uh, has put standards in place to try and uh, work on food safety. I mean, it, we know nothing's 100%, uh, but, you know, the growers in California have been extremely proactive mm-hmm. in, in putting together programs uh, to make the safest fresh food available to the to the consumer. I think we we have a great story to tell. Um, and Aaron said it earlier, you know, the farmers uh, speak for themselves. I know many of my friends will uh, will will get on social media and tell the story themselves. But we, we'd like to see a better connection with our buyers. We'd like to see the buyers come to us and and really take a look at what we're doing. Um, 
we're we're extremely innovative. We're very sustainable. We we uh, we just have a great story of what we're doing out here, and I think that's missed many times. And I know that when I deal with buyers, you know, the primary discussion is over price and food safety. Yeah. Yeah. And we really don't get into the sustainability uh, that we're programs that we have in place on farm. Yeah, and that's so important because that's what we're hearing from consumers. They want to know about the sustainability and, you know, farmers are doing it and using the retail environment to to share that is just so important. Well, Don, I look forward to visiting Terra Nova Ranch soon and thank you for all your great work and your leadership. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us on Farm Food Facts. For more information on all things food and agriculture and to listen to our archives, please visit fooddialogues.com under the Programs and Media tab. Until next week.